0: Well, last week, if you'll remember, we've been going through Genesis. Last week, we got into Genesis chapter 3 as we discussed the fall. And this week, we will be picking up right where we left off next in Genesis chapter 4, if you would like to make your way there. Now, today, we are going to look at something vastly different. Because when we have looked at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we saw the creation of Adam and Eve, and we saw them created sinless, not knowing what it was to do good or evil, and yet last week as we saw them eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now we have seen this fall, we have seen sin enter into the world, so these two boys that we are going to read of, Cain and Abel, are not sinless, in fact they are born into sin, as we would later discover. And so, Today we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 4, and surely as we're going to be reading of these boys, we would think that their parents, as they would be thinking of the promise that has been made of God back in chapter 3, there in verse 15, as God talked about somebody who would come and would crush the head of the serpent, and so surely they were looking forward with anticipation for these boys. And so now we'll pick up our reading here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have begotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And so we see these two boys born, and we see that they are both equally working, and they are working both in taking care of some aspect of creation. We have... Abel, who is tending to a flock, and we have Cain, who is tending to the ground. And so, as we go on here, we'll read verses 3 through 5, and it says In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So here we see that two offerings are made to the Lord. One from each brother. We have Cain who gives this first offering of the fruit of the ground and then we see Abel giving an offering of his flock. And yet we see some vastly different reactions from the Lord. We see that Abel's offering is accepted, and yet we see that Cain's offering is not regarded by the Lord. And so it brings us to really wonder, what is the difference between these two offerings? Why is it that the Lord has had regard for one, and yet has no regard for the other? And so first I would like us to turn back and look here at verse 3. Or sorry, verse 4. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So here's what we see of Abel's offering. We do not see somebody who has just brought whatever they please. It is very important what these descriptions here. There is a description given along with his offering. We see that it was the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. Abel has brought the best of his flock. He has not gone and found just any lamb or any sort of animal that he may please and hacked off a piece to bring to the Lord. But he has found the firstborn of the flock. And for many of you, there's only a few translations that don't say it this way. You would hear that term, fat portions. The NLT would describe that as the choicest portions. Because this is exactly what the Hebrew word for that term fat means. It is the finest part of the meat. Those of us that have put on a few pounds would say the same thing. That is the finest part of us. And yet this is exactly what Abel has brought before the Lord. He says, I will not just give you any singular Cut of meat, Lord, you deserve the best, you deserve the finest thing that I can give you. And yet, look back then at verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. We see no description. We've no clue whether it was good or whether it was rotten. We've no idea whether any sort of description other than it was just simply fruit that Cain had found and he's brought to the Lord. But we must remember that for Cain this truly must be frustrating. Because if we were to go back again to Genesis chapter 3, we can see that one of the curses that is given to Adam is that the ground will be cursed. There will be thorns and thistles. So through this work, Cain is probably toiling and he's straining and he's doing all these things. And we might look at this and we say, you know, Lord, although it may not have been exactly what you were looking for, think of how hard he must have worked to do it. And yet, it is not necessarily whether or not it was acceptable by their standards. We have to remember that. Worship, whether it be offerings, whatever it may be, must be acceptable according to God's standards. And so here we're seeing this difference. And is this the reason that God has such a regard for Abel's and He has no regard for Cain's? One commentator put it this way, Abel brought the first and the best, but Cain brought neither. Is this the reason why? Because one was so much more carefully selected than the other. And the glorious thing is that we need not truly wonder. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Towards the very end of the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we hear once more of Abel in this offering that he's brought. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so it is not necessarily in the content of what was given, but with the heart that it was given with. Abel, in his act of faith, has given to God. It is because he has faith in who God is and he is willing to glorify him that because of his faith, Abel had decided within himself that he was not going to give God whatever scraps may be left from what he may have taken. He's going to give God the first of it, he's going to give God the best of it because he knows that this is what God is worth. And we say, well, then what of Abel or what of Cain and what of his gift? If you were to go down two more verses there and look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him referring to God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. So Cain has not given out of faith. Abel has given out of faith. Cain, out, not out of faith and this is very important and this is a very important distinction that scripture makes very early on if we were to look at proverbs chapter 21 verse 27 you you don't need to turn there it will take just a moment proverbs in proverbs 21 verse 27 it goes so far to say that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination how much more when he brings it with evil intent And so a gift that is not given out of faith, therefore, is given out of some evil intent. It is given in some sort of way to sort of kind of prove to God that He was willing to do the work. But again, it was not necessarily the offering itself, but the heart that the offering is given. Because we know that there are times that people are regarded for giving very little. We think of the woman that Jesus sees as she's giving this last little bit of wealth that she has. And she's regarded for her faith. Because it's not necessarily the abundance that we can give. But it's the heart that it is given with. I'm sure many of us have had many times where there was not much we could give to the church. But we would have been willing to give our time. We were willing to give of our skills and the gifts that God has given us. And so it is not always the abundance or the amount that is given, but the heart that it is given with. But it does change things. Because Abel very well could have said, Lord, I've already you know, gone through so much of this meat. I've already done so much with it. This is all I have left. But this was not Abel's desire. Abel's desire was to give the absolute best that he could to God. This is the difference that faith makes in this situation. And so as we go on, and we look there, if you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 4, when we look there at verse 5, Cain is given an offering that has no regard. Now in a moment we will see that clearly they must know what is given and what is expected in its giving. And yet, does Cain attempt to remedy things? Does Cain attempt to say, you know, Lord, I know what I have given you is not good. I am so sorry, Lord, let me go and find an offering that is worthy of you. We don't see this. There in verse 5, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. We see anger come over Cain. Not only anger with God, but anger even at his own brother. And so, here we see, there in verses 6 and 7, God's response to Cain. And it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you or toward you, but you must rule over it. God here is questioning Cain's misplaced anger. He's saying, I don't understand why you are so angry. He says, If you do well, therefore meaning that both Cain and Abel know the expectations of what is to be given to God in the heart that is to be given in. And God is saying, If you do well, will you not be accepted? He's saying, you know what I ought to desire. You've heard it from your father. You've heard it from your mother. You've even seen it now from your brother. He's saying, if you give in this same way, won't you be accepted? And then he gives a warning. And it's a very serious proclamation. And a very serious warning we see here from God. Of the danger of temptation towards sin. Because then he says, and if you do not do well, if you choose to continue to discard and have disdain towards me and what I require, he's saying that sin is crouching at the door. God likens sin to a wild, ravenous animal waiting, lying in wait to take its prey. God is trying to emphasize to Cain, this is the seriousness that will come if you continue to harden your heart and you continue to just have no regard for what I require. This is what will come. And what do we see? Well, first, we've seen one gift given in faith and we've seen one gift given in unbelief. We've seen a gift that is given for exactly what God requires. That it is given with the right heart, with the right intentions, that God would be glorified. And we've seen another that has given a gift in an attempt to hide his lack of faith. We've seen one, and it shows just as evidently, again, in the content of what they've given. That one has high regard for what God is deserving of. And one has very low desires, and he has more desire to keep the best and to keep the good for himself. And so now we see here, in verses 8 and verses 9, that Cain spoke to Abel his brother. In some versions you would see the phrase, let us go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain does not only refuse to remedy this poor offering that is given to God, something that we now know that God would see as abominable. He refuses to make this right, to see his error in what has been done. And not only this, he continues on in sin. He does not heed God's warning, and he continues on towards it. And he continues in anger to the point that he would murder his own brother. (coughs) And yet, even still, despite this, God almost gives him an easy home run of saying, Cain where's your brother? He is giving him a chance once again to remedy his sinful actions And saying, Cain, where is Abel? And what is the response we see? I do not know. Cain would be willing in speaking with the Lord to attempt to lie and say Lord I have no idea don't know where he is couldn't tell you and what do we see next am I my brother's keeper is it my job to keep track of him you and your sovereignty you can't keep track of him Lord I have to keep track of him now we see almost sarcasm coming from Cain in response to God we see a direct result of somebody who has faith, who has seen the grace of God, and somebody who has no desire for God. Somebody who is so hardened in their heart towards God that they have no problem even attempting to lie before God. And yet, later on, we see Jesus speaking of this. If you would, turn once more with me. We're going to go to John chapter 8. Here in John chapter 8, in verse 44, we see Jesus as He is addressing these religious leaders. This is after they've said to Him, "You know, well, Abraham is our father. We have Abraham to look for. And as they go forward, Jesus is trying to make them understand why they won't listen to him. Why they have no regard for what he is saying. If you look there in verse 44, he says, You are of your father, the devil. We just talked this past Wednesday on how sometimes we can get so used to reading through the scriptures and reading through the gospels that they become just words to us. Imagine being so lost in your sin, so at peace in living against God and against His law that Jesus would say to you, you are of your father the devil. And He goes on and He says, and your will is to do your father's desires, not the desires of Yahweh, but to do the desires of Satan himself. And he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we see these same characteristics there in the response of Cain. We see a response of murder, we see a response of lies. Somebody who has no regard for God because they are so focused on the desires of this world. And he makes it even more abundantly clear. If you would go down there to verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. We have seen this in the life of Cain. No regard for God. No regard for his character. And therefore we have seen no regard in how he lives his life. And yet if we were to look at Abel. We have seen somebody who has received grace. We have seen somebody who has seen acceptance of his gifts through faith. That it is because he has given this in faith. This is the determining factor here and yet still in this day and age these same two people exist there is no middle ground with God there is not somebody who can both love and hate God at the same time there is not somebody who can love and hate the desires of this world and love God at the same time it cannot happen Those who hear God's word and are his people respond. They hear it and they are changed. They hear it and they adhere to his word. Because they have known grace that can only come through Christ. And the acts that they do throughout their life are done in faith. Not in self preservation. Not in a sense of trying to sort of Make themselves right before God. That maybe if I can do enough right things, God will sort of look over all these things. Think of those people that Jesus was speaking to. These religious leaders. That everything that they had their faith in. The reason we look at them and we say, you're so foolish. Is because they were banking on and just trusting in all of their works. In fact, we could look even at the nature of the things that they would give. If they had a hundred different herbs, a hundred different grains, their grains would be exactly ten of those stalks because they were saying, I'm going to follow the law to a T. When we look through the Sermon on the Mount so often, what do we see? Don't be like the religious leaders. Don't be like the Pharisees who do things this way. They're doing things in an attempt to show everybody. It's all for show. It's all hoping that God will look at them and the mighty works that they've done and say, wow, look at what you did. Look at the way you lived. And yet if it's done without faith, it is an abomination. And here, as we see sort of the wrap-up to this story, We see back in Genesis chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Think of God looking at somebody who does farming. Their life, their dependence for money is found in their crops. And now God has looked at somebody whose job it is to tend the ground. And he said, it will no longer yield to you you will find nothing. You've already experienced the work of working on cursed ground and now it will yield for you nothing. He says, you are going to be a fugitive and you're going to wander this earth looking for a place to stay, looking for some place to find comfort. And now God has once again, brought Cain's sin to the forefront of the picture. He's saying, Cain, we are past your offering. And now we have to focus on the fact that not only have you no desire to give me what I've asked for, to give me praise from a faithful heart. He's saying, you have now murdered, you have lied, you have nothing but disdain for me. And he's saying, for this, you are being punished. And this is the punishment we see. Now once again, to put this in New Testament terms, we, as people, when we hear the gospel, we, before we can hear the good news of the gospel, we must hear the bad news of our sinfulness. We must hear that we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And yet if by faith we will put all of our trust in Christ, in that sacrifice, not in our works, not in the things we can do, not even a life that we can say, well, maybe I'll just live for God, and even despite not having faith, maybe God will see the things that I'm doing in His name. But the issue is the sinfulness. The issue is the lack of faith. And here we see Cain's response to all of this being brought before him. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain does not show repentance. Don't mistake what he said here for repentance. What we have seen here truly is what Paul would call in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, we have seen worldly grief. We've not seen somebody who has confronted their sin and said, Lord, you are right, I am sinful, I am a wretch, I am deserving of your judgment, please have mercy on me. That's not what this is. This is worldly grief. This is self-pity. This is Cain looking at God and saying, Lord, I don't know if I can take this much of a punishment. Don't you know what you've done to me? Look there again at verse 14. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. Paul there again in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 also speaks of a godly grief. One that produces repentance. One that has heard the gospel and gone past the bad news. Has accepted the fact that they are a sinner and by faith has come to God in search of grace. Fallen at the feet of Christ and his sacrifice. That is godly grief. This is not what we've seen here. We've seen The opposite. We've seen a worldly grief so severe that he's saying, Lord, I'm going to hide from you. I'm going to wander. If this is my punishment, I'm going to try and get as far away as I can so that I may hide from your face. And then he almost tries to guilt God by saying, whoever finds me, they're just going to kill me. They're going to seek revenge for what I've done. This is the punishment you've given me think of our answer to sin being, God, don't you feel bad for what you've put me through? Don't you feel bad for the result of where my sin has led me to? Cain's response is almost asking God to make up for what he's now given to Cain to experience. And yet, even still through this self-pity, we see in verses 15 and 16, then the Lord said to him, not so, If anyone kills Cain's vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So here we see two final things. We see God showing a bit of mercy in putting this mark on Cain. We don't know what it is. We don't know exactly what it would be to show this. But the purpose of it is to show almost two things we could almost infer. We can see first of all that God has placed this there so that whoever sees it wouldn't come near Cain with a 10 foot pole. They'll have no desire because they will know what the punishment for killing him will be. And yet too we can see the flip side of this. Is this is a mark showing Cain of the sinfulness he will continue in. This is to show the sin of his past and to show exactly the kind of person that Cain is. Cain has no desire to come to God. He's nothing like his brother who has given this gift of faith, who lived by faith. Cain is living the exact opposite only seeking his own self-gain. And when that self-gain is then stopped, when God's justice is enacted, he's angry, he's frustrated. And yet, today I'm most certain that there are still so many people. Because we, as people today, we aren't making Sacrifices as they were in the Old Testament. And the reason for this is because we've already had an everlasting sacrifice in Christ. His life, His death, and His resurrection. By Christ, we've already had a sacrifice sufficient for our sins. In just a few minutes... We'll sing our final song, It Is Well. And in this song, we sing that God has cleansed our sin, not in part, but the whole of our sin. This is what the death of Christ has done. For those who put their faith in Christ, they have received grace from God. The grace has come through faith in Christ. And it has covered our sin. And yet there are still so many today who work. And we say, well yes, I see that this is what God wants. It's clear from His word that I am to put full faith in the finished work of Christ. But I'm, I sin. And even after maybe this has come to the forefront of my mind, I still sin. And I think it is worthwhile to look once more at the New Testament. There in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 8 through 10, Paul makes clear there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. He is saying, you have not been saved by anything you have done. Paul is trying to make abundantly clear that any gift you could have brought, any good works you could have done to try and correct your sin would be in something given with evil intent, trying to persuade God that my good things that I'm doing outweigh the bad. Paul makes it abundantly clear. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. And he really drives the hammer in there in verse 9. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Our salvation does not come by what we are doing. Again... It was not because Abel gave some sort of better sacrifice. It was because Abel was giving it from a place of faith. That is how he received grace. That is how he received the acceptance of his gift, where Cain did not. And there in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It is not simply that we will be saved by grace through faith in Christ and then we will go on living like sinful people. That when we have been saved, that there have been good works that there we see which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the evidence of salvation. It is not simply trying to win favor with God, but it is an Outpouring of worship to God in the way we live. This is what Paul speaks of when he says that our lives are to be a sacrifice. We're to be living sacrifices for God. He's saying that everything that we should do should be to glorify God. To be done in faith. And we even see biblical evidence of what happens when this is not done. We've got just two more verses and we will... We will wrap up. Here in Matthew chapter 7, we see the clear evidence of people who have thought that their good works, even for God, that they proclaim it to be, would save. In Matthew chapter 7, starting there in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that you can go your whole life and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. God, this is... All for your glory. But here's the thing. The reason that we could say all this even to call him Lord and yet still be told depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Is that God knows the true intentions of our hearts. He knows when it's something done in faith. And when it is something that somebody is trying to cover their lack of faith. He can see it. And so today, maybe there be some of us who have tried to go their lives assuring themselves, not in Christ, not in the grace that can only come through faith in Christ as we've just read, but you are putting trust in your works. You're saying, maybe if I can clean my life up, maybe if I can do enough good things, maybe I'll get there. But this is not what we see. We cannot put trust in our works, but we can only have faith in the promise of salvation by Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. It's not by our works, but His. And so today, before we sing this final song, I want us to hear the words of Paul there in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We will not find God's acceptance, we will not find God's grace in good works, in good merit, in trying to work our way to heaven. We only find redemption. We only find forgiveness in Christ. Let us pray.